Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection. <laughs> <laughs> and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us. Mm -hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. <laughs> I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded mm. in reality. You can keep your elves and space operas. What about robots? Should I keep those? Let's talk about that later. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. I am getting a strong never vibe from you on this one. It was one. so subtle. <laughs> so even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it. Oh, those eyebrows are so high. I'm getting the vibe that this one did not for you. So, right? We'll see. We'll see how this we goes. Definitely do a spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. So, today we are talking about Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. And now it's time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including endings and any magical twists. If you haven't read it yet and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it or decided you don't want to. Which I, you probably will. I don't know. There's so much. There's so much. So much. And I want to start off with actually an apology. Um, not because I made you read this book. Oh, but an that apology, was why I deserved it. Go ahead. An apology and a you're welcome. So it's hmm. like I giveth with one hand, I taketh with the other. Bring it. So at the end of last month's podcast, when we were discussing your awful, awful, awful book selection, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, so bad. Got to recoup myself for a second. You've injured yourself again. I did. My brain hurt a little bit. Um, so when we finished that one and we were sharing like, oh, this is what we're going to read next month, I said that this book was a short story. It was a collection of short you stories. You sure did. I did. So I want to apologize for that. But I also want to say <laughs> you're welcome because what I was remembering, I have many Philip K. Dick books. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote both novels mm -hmm. and short stories. And I have a compendium where this book is the base and there's a bunch of short stories that come after it. And I did not make you read that. Oh, my God. That's, I feel and you're so welcome. lucky right now. Right? Yes. Yes. So I apologize that I uh, misdirected you on this one. And also, you're welcome. I didn't re make you read additional short stories on top of this one. So thank you. Yeah. Um, while I was listening to this, <laughs> I kept thinking, she said it's short stories. <laughs> Maybe this one will end soon and I will get one that I actually can stand listening to. And then I was like, oh, I think what she means is there are different threads in this one story. And then I got sad because oh. I was like, oh, that means it's going to be this for the rest of the book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, no. okay, tell us, tell us a little summary of this book. I don't know that I want to start with a book summary. Okay, start with what you want. I think I want to talk about the author. Okay. And then I'll do a book summary. Okay. Because he's fascinating. I don't know if you did any research on him as an author. A uh, tiny bit. So um, Philip K. Dick, and he also went by PKD, mm -hmm. if you know, uh, was born in like the late 20s, like 1928. And um, he was born as a twin. Mm -hmm. And his twin sister passed away when she was like six weeks old. Mm -hmm. And he lived with his mom and his dad at the start in uh, Chicago. They moved out to San Francisco when he was like four or five. 
and his dad got a job in, I think, Reno. And his mom divorced his dad at that point, which, you know, in the 1930s was a, a big deal. Yep. Because she didn't want to move. Yep. She moved him out to D.C. They moved back to the Bay Area. Which is at some ironic. Point. I don't want to move, so we're getting divorced. And, and then, then we get divorced, and I moved to the other coast. Yes. And then I bought back and forth again. <laughs> so he, um, you know, he's spending his adolescence with mostly just his mother. He ends up going to UC Berkeley at some point, which is on the West Coast in the Bay Area. Uh, drops out at some point. He gets, I think it was called an honorable discharge, which mm -hmm. I didn't know you could get from school, uh, due to anxiety issues, which mm -hmm. is kind of a predicator for a lot of what goes on in his life. And really starting when he was in his very early 20s, he purposefully moved forward on a path as an author. Mm -hmm. um, you've only read the one item from him, which I already know you don't like. But <laughs> his he, he was incredibly prolific. He mm -hmm. wrote at least 40 full-length books, like 150 short stories. Wow. Um, nonfiction pieces that he put together. This was his passion. He was a writer. But in the time when he was writing, science fiction was not very popular. And he got, I should have been alive then. Oh, well, I mean, I hope you miss <laughs> like full running bathrooms, but it's your choice. So, you know, when he starts writing um, and really kind of gets into it in like the 50s and the 60s, there's there's not like a robust scene for science fiction and fantasy. And where he gets a lot of his kind of ideas and influence and starting point from are these literary magazines that you could pick up where it's like short stories from sci-fi writers. And that's where he kind of starts. Mm -hmm. He sold his first short story when he was like 23. Unfortunately, those don't pay very well. Right. Because it's a magazine. It's not a super popular topic. And so he struggles on and on and on. He finally writes kind of a, a hotter book. But he struggles with financial issues for all of his life. Hmm. He dies when – he's almost destitute when he passes away. Really? Even after the – he had a lot of acclaim with Man in the High Castle. Mm -hmm. He sure did. But no, he, he also is divorced five times. So, oh, you know, that kind of had that in. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of sets a little backdrop for him. Mm -hmm. He um, – in the 60s, he writes the bulk of the materials that other people might be familiar with. So he writes Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? He wrote um, um, uh, Scanner Darkly. He wrote um, The Man on High Castle. Um, Something called like UL, ULIC. Or oh, he wrote VALDIS, which was a, an acronym for an alien book he wrote. He wrote a bunch of short stories, you know, prolific, prolific, prolific. Um, he also uh, used a lot of recreational drugs, mm. and um, you know, part of that might be attributed to to his anxiety. Part mm -hmm. of it might be his artistic temperament. You know, whatever the it was, time. the time he was a heavy drug user yeah. for for a lot of his life. Kicks it, right? At some point, he um, he kicks it, and <clears throat> he um, he talked about how he used drugs to maintain a high. So that he could write more prolifically with the frantic energy it would give mm -hmm. him so he could have enough money to live with, which is really incredibly sad. Oh, that's awful. Right? Um, in 1972, so he gets through the 60s, the, like the middle of the 60s, he's written all these books, and then he has this huge writer's block. Mm. It's 1972. Um, he attempts suicide mm -hmm. and comes back from that, partially kicks the drug habit, uh, starts going to like a Canadian version of like – Drug Anonymous, okay. to trying to get back on track. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things are looking a little bit up for our, for our author here, Mr. Dick. Uh, and then in 1974, he has this, not a revelation, he has like a, 
a metaphysical, spiritual, some kind of an encounter. Mm -hmm. He opens his door one day and someone is there bringing him in a package and they have a necklace on. It's like a gold necklace. And he looks at this necklace and there's light coming in and there's like this pink light shining out of it from mm -hmm. the refraction. And it gets into his head that this light is conscious and intelligent and um, concurrent to this, he had just had a like a wisdom tooth removed, so he was also on medication. Oh, no. Uh, but for like the next three, four, five months, he has these increasing delusions and hallucinations hmm. where he believes um, that these non-entities are actually happening. Okay. And that he himself is living these two parallel lives, both as himself and as a man back in the Roman times that was like, I think, a proselytizer for for maybe Jesus, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. some kind of religious figure at the time. So he's got like all these things going on. You know, 1980s come around. He uh, ends up passing away in 1982. Okay. He had a stroke and then a, a series, a secondary stroke and then passed away from complications of that. Uh, the same year that the movie Total Recall was set to come out or maybe Blade Runner. Blade Runner, I think. Yeah. Um, so he didn't get to see the premiere before. of yeah. that. Yeah. So his life is just fascinating yeah. to me that because you see that a lot with artists. Like you, you read the backstories on these people who have created these wonderful, beautiful artistic masterpieces and you think they seem tortured. Yeah. Tortured to have gotten to this point. Yeah. And he it feels the same way for me. Yeah. That that's his unfortunate like how he went. Um, and just one more thing before we actually jump into the book. So he over the course of his life affiliated in a lot of different ways with religion and spirituality and uh, at one point, I'm going to read a direct quote, he described himself as an acosmic panatheist, which he explained as meaning that I don't believe that the universe exists. I believe that the only thing that exists is God, and he is more than the universe. The universe is an extension of God into space, and he and time. That's the premise I start from in my work, that the so-called reality is a mass delusion that we've all been required to believe for totally obscure reasons. So when I hear stuff like that, it confirms a couple of things. One is that I'm not smart enough for science fiction because <laughs> I definitely feel like the people who are creative and who are both – well, the people who are drawn to create science fiction are probably a crazy amount of – creative and brilliant at the same time. And I feel like I could get to the creative part, the brilliant part, maybe not so much. Mm. Um, and so I think that's why it's hard for me because it is, it's a struggle for me to understand what kind of the, what they're trying to convey. But at the same time, I also feel like my brain breaks when I hear <laughs> um, brilliant people like Brian Greene talk about string theory and oh, yeah. how like string theory shows us that time is not a continuum, that mm -hmm. it's just this freaky thing. It's a big and old mass. So I I am willing to take for granted that what uh, everything I know about time might be completely untrue. Like I'm willing to to say, okay. Yeah. And and I'm willing for that to be the premise of a novel, but wow, this one was tough for me. It was a lot. And I will say, you know, so much of both this book and other ones he've written are about how we perceive reality. Mm -hmm. What you know, what I look at when I'm looking at a window, and what you look at when you're looking at a window, might objectively seem to be the same thing, but are probably not. Sure. And um, it, I was reading, um, I was reading a different book. Um, Hello, 
beautiful Hello Stranger by Catherine Center, which okay. just recently came out. And the protagonist in there was recently um, afflicted with face blindness, which has oh, an yeah. actual scientific name that right. I don't remember right now. Right. And one of the statistics that the author threw out there that I have not validated but sounded kind of interesting was that, you know, two or three percent of the world's population has this and they're born with it. Hmm. But they don't say anything because why would you? Because right. that's how you perceive the world. Why you would you know say that it's something different. different? Exactly. Right. right. And t- books like this feel the same way to me. Yeah. Um, it's still fine that you hated it. But <laughs> um, I, I've read many of his books and I knew about his background, which makes it just extra more convoluted yeah. for me. And just fascinating the way his brain put together like boop, 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 boop. Rereading it because I've read this maybe 15 years ago. There are definitely parts that did not age well. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting to yeah. me because I did, as I was reading this, especially on the back-to-back of with the abortion uh, yeah, yeah. book that we just read, some of the descriptions felt similar to me mm-hmm. in terms of how, particularly about how they described women. Yes. And so I was inter- I'm, I'm interested that you brought that up because yeah. I thought I, I can get past this just, not past it, but think of it as he's, he's a man of his time. Mm. This is what the colloquial kind of expectation was during the time. And so that did not age for you. No. Yes to all of that. You know, this was written in 66 or 68 or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Fine. That might have been the police setting at that time. Still don't like it. Sure. Sure. No, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that we – I know why it happened. Yeah. There was places in here where his male protagonist was describing a woman that he wanted to have a relationship with as childlike. Yes. Like wayfish. Wayfish. And um, no, mm-mm, no, bad, bad. Um, and there, there was also this one point where he was describing a woman's chest area, mm-hmm. and he said it looked like it was smiling at him. And I was like, well, <laughs> I just don't, I can't, I just can't. I don't know how that works. So, um, <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> so, so now that I've given you the way too long, but interesting, hopefully, background about this author. Um, the, this book is probably one of his better known ones. Mm-hmm. This and um, – um, oh, my God, my brain is Man gone. on High Castle? Yeah. And there's a bunch of short story compilations that, that folks might know him by. He also wrote uh, Scanner Darkly, which was turned into a book or a movie. Uh, he wrote the story that Minority Report got mm-hmm. turned into. And then there's a TV series that came out last year or so called Electric Dreams, which okay. was uh, based on a couple of his different things. And he was hugely um, – nominated and awarded for like Hugos and Nebulas and mm-hmm. international prizes. He just had no money because none of them wow. actually made him a lot of money in his. So super long intro to this book. Um, and I should also say I've never actually watched the movie Blade Runner. Okay. Neither so. have I. Oh, okay. we good. We're on the same spot. So, I mean, you know me. I don't watch a lot of movies. So, <laughs> um, so I'm actually – I don't really have I, – I am you from last month. I have absolutely no notes because I found this profoundly boring. I know. And I expected to love it because um, my husband and I did watch at least the first first two seasons of The Man in the High Castle. Mm -hmm. And we thought the premise was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's uh, that one's more like an alternative history. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, U.S. lose or the allies lose World War Two. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to the U.S. after that? Yeah. We thought it was very interesting for at least the first two seasons. And then it got super thinky and. We found that we were both like, I'm too tired to watch this because it takes so much energy to follow. And then we can never remember, like, what happened the last episode? So that kind of encapsulates how much work I feel like I have to do with some science fiction. Sure. With this, I I literally (laughs) 
fell asleep multiple <gasps> times because wow. it could not keep my interest. And Scott Brick, who was an excellent and widely acclaimed uh, narrator, mm-hmm. I actually had to make it go on fast because I wanted it to go the, wow. the recording speed to go faster so that I would get through it faster. So, you know, we're friends, and it, it's okay <laughs> are that are we? Yes, we are. I, I am telling you that yes, we are. Yes, we are. And it's okay that we don't like the same things because sure. I started rereading this on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I uh, didn't eat breakfast one day because I just wanted to sit and read it. <laughs> I brought it with me to work and I skipped lunch. And then I, like, ate a Twix bar. But So it's, it's not like I was calorie deficient. But I was so fascinated in rereading this about the things that I remembered and the things that I hadn't. And uh, So yeah. tell me what hooked you because I, I literally – there was nothing interesting about this to me. I didn't care anything about the characters. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like any of them – did anything of note. Mm-hmm. I cared less about the androids. Like, mm-hmm. that was totally yeah, boring no. to me. And I guess I just don't really like post-apocalyptic sure. stuff to begin with, so yeah. that was hard. And the whole thing with the fake animals, I, I was it. like, love total it. snoozer. Oh, no, love it. Okay, so so yeah. tell me tell me what you love about it. Let Convince me, me. Let me do a little little synopsis for sure. our readers. You didn't like mine? That was such a great synopsis that I just did. It was p- parts and parcels, <laughs> but maybe not like a bow <laughs> on the top. Correct. So this book follows... Um, a member of the San Francisco PD. Uh, his name is Rick Deckard. I did double check so I didn't say his last name right, wrong. And he lives in this po- post-apocalyptic world. So at some point in the faraway past, someone somewhere on Earth did bad things. Mm-hmm. And it is— World War Terminus. Yes, almost an inhospitable wasteland at this mm-hmm. point. And most people have elected to immigrate to Mars or other colony spaces, and they are Um, prodded to do so with the promise of a gift of their own humanoid android, which could do whatever they want. It could be working for them. It could be a house server. It could be whatever you need it to be. But some folks have opted to stay on Earth either because they feel a really strong pull towards their homeworld or because they have been devolved with all of this awful dust in this post-apocalyptic world that is slowly degenerating both their intellect and their physical capacities. So, so they are not allowed to immigrate because they would then delete kind the of gene pool. poison the gene yes, pool. Yes, exactly. So our main character in here is a bounty hunter, mm-hmm. and his job is to find and retire androids that have killed their humans on these host colony planets and come back down to Earth to try and hide. Now, you're using retire the correct way, but it is a euphemism mm-hmm. he, for killing them. He, he shoots them. Yeah. Yeah, he makes sure they go boom, boom. They're gone. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, so he gets like this base pay, mm-hmm. but he gets extra bounties when he collects on these folks. And the story opens on this kind of sad situation with his wife, and they don't seem to like each other very much. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the book, he's hunting these four androids that have come down to Earth. And you have this parallel story with a special man who can't emigrate. His intellect is slowly devolving, and he comes to be kind of taken on by these androids who use his space to hide in. Um, so it's Mr. Deckard chasing the androids mm-hmm. and Mr. Isidore attempting to help hide them at some point. And uh, there are so many things I liked about this. <laughs> I, I'm just not even sure where to start. So uh, there were so many different aspects I found fascinating. So like even from the start of the book. So you open on this book and he wakes up in his house with his wife and they're talking about what mood they want for the mm-hmm. day. And so like you, if you and I woke up, you're like – I'm going to be in a good mood today. Mm -hmm. Or you just kind of let it flow over you. They have this technology now where you just like set a dial 
and then that's your mood for the day. Mm -hmm. And you can consciously think of it. So she has decided, his wife, that she is going to have a six-hour self-depression, just mm -hmm. really it's sink into party. it. A pity party. She's done. And he's like, no, why don't you set it to Channel 3, which is where anything that comes on TV you like. She's like, no, I don't want to do that again. And he said, well, you know, we could put it on a like a, a, a channel where we might want to go have relations. And she's like, I don't want to do that either. Um, and they can't come to any consensus about it. But I liked the tone that said at the beginning that, you know, this place is depressing. This place beats you down because mm -hmm. there's nothing left here that you remember. And humans, instead of trying to fix anything, have decided that what they're going to do is they're going to alter their consciousness so it doesn't matter how bad it looks out there because in your head, you have control. Right. And that really set a tone for me about what the story was going to be. And it only continued from there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he leaves his wife. He's going to go to his job. And he well, just leaves her for the day. Leaves like, her for the day. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yes. Leaves her for the day. I, don't, I could never figure out if she worked or if she just was sad yeah. all day. Um, <laughs> that was her job. Yes. To be your, sad. Your job. Be sad. <laughs> um, he goes up to the roof. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, why is he going to the roof? And then you realize, you know, it's the future. They have hover cars. Fine. But also, this post-apocalyptic world, most of the animals have been killed off. There's mm -hmm. nothing left to sustain them. And so the ultimate status symbol is to own a real animal. Mm -hmm. So he gets up on his roof and there's a sheep. Only, you know, we know it's an electric sheep because mm -hmm. he couldn't afford a real sheep. And his neighbor across the way has a horse up there for some reason. That is pregnant. Of course it is. I mean, maybe. We don't know. Right, that's electric. true. But that they put their animals on the roof so that your neighbors can see how fancy you are. Right. And, you know, he's... He's having this inner monologue about how he wishes he had a real sheep still. His sheep died. They had to get those replacement ones. They didn't lose face with their neighbors. And it's it's the same theme, right? Yeah. The world has exploded. And what am I worried about? My neighbor knows that my neighbor knows that I have a fake sheep. Right. And then, you know, as you get further in the book, there's like a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So like he's always got in his pocket this like catalog pamphlet edition where he's like, <laughs> how much does an ostrich cost now? Oh, right. 30000 Well, I can't do that. Well, and it also tells you what's totally extinct. Yes, of course. Toads. So, yeah, toads are extinct. To toads and owls are the first ones to go. So I just thought that was a really fascinating continuation. And I loved that the more you got in, they're like, well, you know – um, he gets some of his bounty money and he goes to the animal store at some point. He's like, I was thinking about a family of rabbits. And the salesperson tries to up someone's like, well, have you thought about a goat? And he's like, you know, I haven't thought about a goat. Tell me more about a goat. Sir, you don't seem like a rabbit person. You, you, you need a bigger animal, a goat. You do need a goat. And you know what's great about goats? They can eat anything. <laughs> so if you accidentally <laughs> feed them a piece of barbed wire, it's fine. Which is what killed his sheep. Exactly. They'll be fine. Yeah. And they'll also butt whoever comes to steal them. Of course. Because so. that's there, – there are roving bands of teens <laughs> that steal real animals. <laughs> so those two aspects I thought were really fascinating. And for me, they set the tone of the story, which was that these characters were just conveyances mm -hmm. for this dystopian, paranoid, archaic space – that's contrasted so highly with these androids that have evolved so far that you almost can't tell what they are anymore. Right. And instead of choosing to stay in servitude, they come back to what is not their ancestral homeworld, but this sad, desolate planet we have now to try and hide in these abandoned apartment complexes where nobody else is. And they're living in these buildings where um, 
my favorite word in here is kipple. I don't know if you picked up on that one as well. <laughs> oh, my God. Kipple. So kipple for them in this book is um, it's like, you know, if you leave a pile of dirty dishes on the counter and you leave and then you come back and there's like three times as many dirty dishes. Yes. So they multiply. Yes. The, the idea that dust bunny is in deterioration multiplies kipple in this world. <laughs> and so these androids who are the height of technology have been devolved because they're forced to cloister themselves off in these tiny little spaces. And that just continues to loop for me about what they started off with this book. And I can tell you don't care about it. But <laughs> I just – I really loved how he stayed true to what he was trying to share about the mission of this book, which is what does it actually mean to live? Mm -hmm. What does it actually mean to view your own perception of reality? And the part I knew you were going to hate and that I – hesitated to even put in here to bring up as a topic was the quasi-religious aspect mercerism. of mercerism. Super weird. Yes. Agreed. But, Super weird. you know, actually, ironically, that was one of the more interesting parts of it to me because mm. I think I just didn't care about any of the dystopian stuff. Okay. So it was hard for me to, to pay attention. Um, but mercerism had some kind of, I, for lack of a better term, humanistic. Totally. Like, not appeal, mm -hmm. but it, th there was a bridge there yeah. where I could see kind of. So that was more interesting to me than really? the fake animals huh. and the dystopian world and the dust being everywhere and yeah. blah, 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 blah. So anyway, that was, yeah, I didn't dislike it. I didn't we, buy okay. into well, it. I would never have guessed that part of you. <laughs> because, well, the whole point with the Mercerism was, right, you're you're stuck on this planet. You're so far apart from other humans There's no at this contact. Point. There's no contact. And so they have this box. Yeah. And you grab the handles on this box and it's – when I read it, it, it felt to me like meditation. Mm -hmm. You grab onto this box and everyone knows that, you know, this guy who lived there a while ago, Mercer, um, had these extrasensory powers. He got told not to use them. And so he becomes this quasi-religious figure. Mm -hmm. And all of humanity at some point is buying into this mercerism. And when they participate in this joint like meditation thing, um, then you have this connection to other people that's outside of yourself. Right. And I, I didn't like the progression of that particular storyline. I yeah. didn't actually fully understand where he went with it at the end either. Right. But I liked that I liked that he was juxtaposing the, you know, our planet is ruined. Our people are decimated. We are far flung in a diaspora. Technology has ruined us and saved us. But if we all sit quietly and think together, maybe we can come to some kind of empathic relationship, which is really all that keeps humans apart from androids in this book. Right. Um, I know I have rambled on for a very long time. No, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful because, because it kind of confirmed with me that I didn't miss anything i just it just is not something that appeals to me which is fine yeah um i mean it makes me sad in all my heart parts but it's okay yeah <laughs> yeah that's okay well, i'll save i'll save for our next pod for the next podcast yes regardless of the book uh -huh. i am going to respond to everything with the voight camp scale so anytime oh my God. you <laughs> anytime you ask me a question i'm gonna say um, I need to shine a light in your eye and put a patch on your cheek and to, measure, your cheek to, to measure your respiratory system yeah. because as an android, you can't feel empathy. So when I ask you a series of questions about like a bearskin rug, you're not going to react fast enough and that's how I'll know. Okay. So the fact that I pass out when I see people in pain doesn't mm -hmm. tell you that I feel empathy. I mean, you could be a really good fake. Hmm. Yeah. Well, 
I don't know how to respond to that, so I'm going to switch us to a different topic. And remember how you yelled at me last time? Um, yes, vividly. Uh, yes. Yeah. But I was going to specifically say a specific yelling, not just overall, okay. which yeah. was that I did not pick an all-time favorite book. That's I, true. And I, so I got yeah, sort yeah. of chastised for that. A little bit, yeah. I'm going to make you read one of my very all-time favorite books. Yes. The bad news for you no. is you've all— <laughs> No. <laughs> that was so sincere. Mm. You are not an android. Um, you've already read something by this author, okay. which is why I hesitated to pull him again. Yeah, but I kind of feel like we need to reset after yeah. my choice last one mm-hmm. and your choice this one. We need to kind of reset. Okay. And I'm going to make you read Empire Falls by Richard Russo. What was the other Richard Russo book we read? Um, Straight Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well. So, but the thing, the reason I didn't make you read Empire Falls the first time, mm. because it truly is my favorite Richard Russo book, mm-hmm. um, is that it's long. And oh. so, you know, I don't want to make, it's bad enough that I make you read a short book that you hate. It's okay. It's even worse if it's a really long one. I'll start like two days in advance. Okay. That's okay. a good idea. I'll, I'll work it out. Um, it's, a, it's, it's such a good book that it won the Pulitzer. Okay. And um, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward bought the screen rights to it and mm-hmm. made um, a movie out of it, and it okay. was fabulous. I have not seen that movie either. Okay. okay. Well, and you probably won't see it then because, you know. Yeah. We... But I'll, I'll, I will be a fresh slate yes. for this one. So thanks for joining us on uh, You're yeah. Making Me Read What? Oh, no, yes. Thanks for joining us. This was a great book. <laughs> Uh, even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, I mean, maybe your name is Christine. There are millions more where that came from. <laughs> and don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. But join us next month when we will be discussing Empire Falls by Richard Russo. Thank you, and keep on reading. <laughs>